Who's excited to be at church this morning? Wow, I believe you. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one as a free gift. We love this book. Any Bible fans out there today? Man, this book is dangerous. It'll, it'll slice you open, do some surgery, and transform your life if you let it. So we are in a series called Friendship with God, and that is the greatest aspiration we have as All People's Church is to become friends of the living God. He invites us into it. We've been studying the epic life of Moses as God called this ordinary man into extraordinary endeavors with him. And I hope you've been enjoying the series. We've just got two weeks left. I'm going to talk today, and then Kendall's going to finish us off next week. It's going to be awesome. Please be praying for our teams as we go out. There's this verse uh, in 2 Samuel that says, in the spring when kings go off to war. And David didn't go off to war, and he got in trouble. And so what we love to do once the spring comes around is we go off on exploits for the Lord. Now, we should always be doing exploits, but this is when you'll start seeing us launch out team after team after team to the nations of the world, believing for God to establish his kingdom. So we're stoked to go to Mongolia on Monday night. We're doing a big world mandate type conference, creating a youth church in the city of Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. And uh, another team going down to Arequipa, Peru, where we have a a long-term team starting to form from friends in our midst. And so we're just excited about what God's doing in the nations right now. We're excited to play our part as All People's Church. You're a part of it. You're a part by prayer. You're a part by supporting, encouraging, financially giving to different ones that are going. So this is something we are doing as a big family. Are you excited to take the gospel to the nations? Awesome. Let's jump on in. I was um, so excited when we came home, the the day we came home from our honeymoon from Kauai, this is 12 years ago, I was already planning our 10-year anniversary trip. Uh, If there's two things that I am, one, it's a hopeless romantic, and two, it's a fanatic for beautiful scenery. So I was already planning, I was trying to figure out how to get back to Kauai, that was a trip of a lifetime, so I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'll get to do that on our 10-year anniversary, but nine years into marriage, or eight years into marriage, we moved to this beautiful state of California, and so I realized being here that we have some of the most world-class sightseeing destinations on earth, and I started just kind of polling people, all right, for our 10-year anniversary, what should we do? Asking person after person after person, it was unanimous. Everyone said Yosemite. Yosemite is one of the prettiest places on earth. So, I, and it was kind of over the top. I mean, people saying like, it's, it's unbelievable. It's breathtaking. It's going to knock you on your back. I remember talking to my neighbor who definitely wasn't a, a God-loving person. All, all indications showed me that he was a complete pagan. And my... <laughs> My neighbor says this. He goes, wow, Yosemite, now that's God's country. Like, wow, I didn't even know you. Man, that made you worship. So my expectations were getting high, so I was trying to to, to, to squelch them, you know. And I remember Steph and I, you know, we we get the kids, the babysat, and we're just like, this minivan is peaceful. This is unbelievable. Driving, Driving to Yosemite and 
we get into the park, and we're, we're driving in, and I have to say, I was pretty disappointed. You know, we're just driving and kind of going over rolling mountains, and there's a bunch of pine trees, and I'm like, you know, this isn't much different than Big Bear. Not that Big Bear's not great, you know, it's, but, you know, I'm like, it's just like normal Colorado, New Mexico mountains, and all of a sudden I see we're coming towards this really large mountain, and we're not kind of veering around it. We're going straight for it, and all of a sudden, boom, we're in this tunnel. I'm going, oh, this is pretty cool. You know, I'm, I'm in the mountain, you know, the dwarves of Middle Earth. And we go through the, the tunnel, and I was not prepared for what would happen next. We pull out of the tunnel, and there before me, standing like this massive, steadfast giant is Half Dome, right? This 4,737-foot granite edifice just towering from the, from the floor of the forest up. And I look over, and then to my left is Yosemite Falls, 2,525 feet of continuous flowing water going down. The day we hiked it, there was a double rainbow. <laughs> I, 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 what does it mean? Um, I... I sent a text to Kendall. I, I videoed myself. I was like, double rainbow all the way. Kendall, what does it mean? <clears throat> and uh, that's how I was. That's what I was like when I pulled into Yosemite. I'm like, whoa, oh my goodness. And I felt, I mean, it was kind of like chills going from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes. And all I could do was kind of pull over the car. I did what you never want to do. I just joined the massive flood of tourists. I kind of stumbled out of my car just going, you know, just snapping pictures. It was the only thing that seemed fitting to do. Then I'm like, Steph, get me. You know, I'm like, uh. And then, <laughs> then Steph and I, then Steph. Then, you know, I mean, it was like every, we are in awe of the glory and the splendor of this majestic sight. Just jaw drop. I was not prepared. I've been to over 40 countries and I hadn't ever seen anything that so captured me. And then the, like the sun is right setting on the river and it was like golden, just flowing straight towards us. And I am just lost in it. But then I was really excited because I had this secret that as I was looking around at all the other tourists, you know, thinking they're driving in in the day, but then they have to leave at night. I'm like, <laughs> I am staying here tonight. And I had called the Yosemite hotline or whatever it was, and I had gotten a hold of Joe Bob, and I said, Joe Bob, I don't remember what his name is, but that sounds like a guy that would work at the Yosemite hotline. I said, Joe Bob, this is my 10-year anniversary, and you got to understand, I'm a frugal guy. In fact, sometimes I'm called cheap, and I usually don't, I don't spend a lot of money on lodging, you know? And, um, but I'm going to go all out. This is our 10-year anniversary. Like, what is the best lodging you have? And he's, you know, he goes, oh, you know, hey, you're calling a month before. That thing books up like a year before. You're so late. But I'm like, Joe Bob, what can you do for me? And and he goes, whoa, 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 oh my goodness, oh my, I'm like, what, what, oh my goodness, this is unbelievable, what, Joe Bob, what? And he goes, there's this cabin on the other side of the park that no one knows about. It's like a family secret that people pass down from one generation to another. And it's under the falls, and like, 
You'll go in and everyone will be sleeping in their little tents and you will have the quintessential cozy warm cottage. I'm like, sign me up, Joe Bob. And it was half the price. So I'm going in knowing that in the midst of this glory and splendor of these thousand foot waterfalls that I'm going into the warm, cozy cottage. And I remember after, after, you know, seeing all the sights and watching all these families, you know, that are going into their little canvas tent that I'm like sneaking around like, you know, I'm, and we go and there tucked behind these trees is this little hobbit hole. And we walk in and there are, we walk in and there's like this one wall that's just a river stone fireplace, the whole thing. And we go in and there's all these little pictures of, of Yosemite through the years. And then we get in and there's all these books and we light a fire. And in the midst of the glory and splendor, we are like in the heart and soul of Yosemite. And I'm just going, Steph, this is amazing that in the midst of this epic place, we found like the actual heart of the mountain. And I think that's what the Israelites must have felt like. In Exodus 25, when God calls them into a little tabernacle, where the heart of his presence, where he would dwell. Look at this, guys. Exodus 24 Starting in verse 15, it says this, When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. You guys remember last week we talked about the giving of the law, the giving of the Ten Commandments. And and so Moses is going up the mountain, and there's a cloud that covers it. And it says in verse 16, And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the clouds covered the mountain. And on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. Listen to this, verse 17. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days. Okay, you guys remember last week, but just for a little review, when the Israelites started encountering God on this mountain, it wasn't like the little sheep in the pasture, Psalm 23, right? Psalm, I mean, Exodus 19, verse 16. Look at what it says. It says, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder, boom, and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. I mean, this is what the Israelites are experiencing. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. They stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. That's bad. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, you know that THX, it's the original THX commercial. Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Picture yourself there for a second. Don't just get lost in the 5,000-year-ago story. Like, just close your eyes for a second. Imagine that you're standing before a mountain, and there's just going boom, 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 thunder, bzz, 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 lightning. You're hearing a trumpet increasingly getting louder. You're like, my eardrums are about to get blown. The whole mountain is violently trembling. 
This is their encounter with God. This is what it's like. I don't know about you, but when, when I see fire, I'm not like, oh, that's sweet. I'm going to draw near. I remember one time we were, we were living in Del Cerro in one of the 11 houses we lived in, in the last five years. And we're sitting there, and, and Hallie is at the dining room table, and Hallie looks back and goes, Daddy, what's that orange column? And I look, and it's a 100-foot, this is serious, a 100-foot pillar of fire burning towards our house. Now, I'm not from California originally. I'm not used to fire coming at me. And so I'm like, get in the car. We're running. We're jumping in the I'm pulling out my little minivan. Pulling out of that. I've had some bad experiences with fire before. I've like gotten burned in fires before. I'm one of those guys that if you light a bonfire, you know, I'm standing about 15 feet back. and like, you know, try to flick the match in, you know, so you don't get burned. I know Eagle Scout, you're supposed to do it with one match. I waste about 15 because I'm like, you know, just, I don't. Guys, this mountain is on fire. God was scary. Okay, we, we don't talk about that much. We don't talk about the fear of the Lord much. But I guarantee you, when you're standing looking at your mountain, do we have a picture of Mount Sinai? I think we do. When you're looking at a mountain, This isn't like Mission Gorge, you know, little dink. This is a mountain, and it's it's trembling, and there's a cloud, and there's fire. This is God showing up. And what does he do next? Chapter 25. Look at that with me. Chapter 25, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring an offering. You're to receive the offering for me, from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you're to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Guys, big God, fire burning on that huge mountain, trembling, shaking a whole mountain, commanding lightning, lightning's massive. God's saying, make a little tent for me, and I'm going to dwell with you there. Big God, way bigger, way bigger than Half Dome, way stronger than Yosemite Falls saying, hey, if you make this little tent, I'm going to come and draw near to you. You can draw near to me. Are you getting how mind-boggling this is? A God that big, that's like a whole mountain is is on fire, saying, if you make this little tent, I'm going to draw near to you. I want you to catch this. I want you to catch this today, that the living God, the creator of the universe, parting seas, raining down plagues, speaking universes, into being wants to dwell with you. He wants to come and tabernacle with you today. He wants you to draw near. He's calling you today to draw near. And and I want to study this story because God's offering an invitation. He was offering an invitation to the Israelites to draw near. And God's still a God who gives invitations. 
And I want to study this and not just say, well, this happened 5,000 years ago because I want you to understand the invitation because here's what I know about invitations. I get a lot of invitations to weddings being a pastor, especially in a church that 60, 70% of people are under 30 and constantly falling in love. (laughs) It's like our best selling point of our church. (laughs) Cupid is like flying. Our our angels are not guardian angels. They're like cupids, like hovering in this place. People are always falling in love and always getting married. Here's, here's, what, here's what happens though. I love invitations. I, I don't know if you're ever going to a wedding and you're like, oh, I forgot the invitation. And you're like, what, what time is it? Three, 3.30, four, and you kind of have that panic feel. And you're like, where is it? It's somewhere east. <laughs> You've got to understand the time. You've got to understand the location. It doesn't matter if you're invited. If you don't get the details, you'll miss it. Selah. We got to understand the specifics of the invitation. So here it is. It says, first, tell them, tell the Israelites, this is verse 1 of chapter 25, to bring me an offering. God was actually saying, I want you to come and bring me an offering. Have something to give when you come to me. Well, Robert, I thought this whole thing was free. Well, it absolutely is. Salvation is absolutely free. Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins that you've committed, that you could never pay for. All of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of his perfection. And the Bible goes on to say the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die and be punished forever in hell for our sins. But the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's a free gift to enter into his kingdom. It's amazing. But I want to tell you that though salvation is free, the deep things of God come at a high price. What did you just say? I said that salvation is free. You're born again for free. We talk about this all the time. There's nothing you can do to earn it. But for those that want the deep things of God, those that want to draw near, it comes with a price. And this is what God is saying in verse 25. Tell the Israelites to bring an offering. You're to receive the offering from me, each man whose heart prompts him to give. God knows this. Uh, In a healthy relationship, both parties come to give to each other. Right? If you're taking notes, that might be something wise to write. In a healthy relationship, both parties give. If you're going to have a healthy marriage, both the husband and the wife are thinking, how can I give to the other person? Does God need our gifts? Does he need our hides of sea cows? No, he didn't need it. I mean, he's the God that sends fire on a mountain. But you know what God loves? He loves to have your heart. And he understands that our possessions often have our heart, and so when we come and we give our possessions, or we give our time, or we give our affection, or we give our gifts to him, then our heart comes behind it. Are you following me? Now watch this. This is very interesting. Verse 8, then, make, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Say exactly. But, but pastor, it doesn't matter, you know, how I come to God, just as long as my heart is sincere. As long as my heart is good, right? That's, that's what matters. God says, hey, make it exactly. 
like I'm telling you to. You know, that, that doesn't work with us in America. You know, we're like, hey, we're free, right? You, you probably had people and you've talked to them about God and they say, you know, um, well, God and I have our, our, our own arrangement. God, God and I have our own kind of, you know, our own way of relating. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't have your own way. You don't have your, God and I have our own understanding. You're like, no, you don't. You have your own understanding. <laughs> it, it, to come to God, you come on his terms, right? Yeah, yeah, America is free, you know, freedom of speech, right? Have you tried to get on a plane lately? Have you gone through TSA lately? All of a sudden, you lose every freedom you've ever had in America to get on this plane, right? It, it's kind of like Old Testament worship. You, you come in and you remove your outer garments, right? And you come to the table and you lay your offering of perfumes and lotions and incense on the table before them. And then you remove your shoes for you're standing on Hollywood ground. And, and, you walk, and you let your words be few. As you go into the inner chamber and they're looking at you uncovered and bare. And they say, now raise holy hands to heaven and stay. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't say to the TSA agent, you know, I, I'm going to leave my shoes on and my, and my garments. I'm going to carry my bottles of water and my switchblade. But, but my heart's right. I, I got a sincere heart. They don't, they don't give a rip how sincere your heart is. You're not getting on that plane. You go through TSA rituals of worship to get on. Now, the, the, the illustration kind of breaks down because God totally cares about your heart. But there, there is a way to enter into his presence. And, and some of us think, and, and, and sometimes the American church fosters this, that it's all about me. You know, I... I, I I go to church because it's, you know, they, this church has the best coffee. This church has the best comfy seats, right? I mean, I'm sure that's what you're thinking right now. <laughs> this church has the best AC. This church, right, this, that worship leader, he has the coolest hair. He kind of flicks out right here. And, oh, my gosh, you know, it's. And God's saying, no, when you come, you bring your offering. Hello. And, and God knows that you will get the most out of your experience with him if you come to give. If you come to lay down your life, if you come to sacrifice, then you truly meet with him. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. People say, Pastor, I don't, I don't feel very close to God. I want to ask you, have you been pursuing him? Have you been setting aside time to draw near to him? Because he promises is if you show up. That's why it's so important to keep coming to church. Not so you can check off some religious boxes. Because God is here. Wherever two or more gather in his name, God is there. And so you come and he shows up and he sees your sacrifice. And he goes, I'm coming here to meet with you. Let's keep going. What he says, he, he then explains some different components of the tabernacle that are going to be representative of encounters you'll have with God. So the first one's the ark. If you look 
At verse 10, it says, have them make a chest of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out. Make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it. Fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other side. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. These are the kind of things when we get here in our devotional time reading the word, we're like, could you please? I don't know what acacia wood is. I've never seen a sea cow. I... But God's going through these details because he's very concise, he's very precise, because he cares about the little details about your life. And he's saying, here's what this ark is all about. If you'd skip down to verse 22, it says, there above the cover between the two cherubim, so these are these gold angels crafted on this ark, here on the cover, over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you. It's always about you drawing near. This is what's different than all the religious systems. I go into these different countries, right, and they're burning incense. I remember going into Calcutta, the goddess of death and destruction, and it's all about, they're standing on skulls, and it's all about just killing animals to appease this this being so it doesn't destroy you. That's not God's heart. God's heart is to meet with you. God's heart is to be with you. And here's one way he is with us. He says, I'll meet with you. This is verse 22, the second part. And give you all my commands for the Israelites. If you didn't get the message last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. We talked about the importance of God's commands and even following God's commands. Not for his love, not to gain his love, but in order to stay in a place of receiving his love. The commands are like the banks of the river. And if we'll stay in them, we stay in the full force of his love. And when we venture out of them, we leave that place of covering. We leave that place of security. We leave that abundant life. And we start missing his love as it flows right past us. God's love is always flowing, but the commands keep us in the center. God's saying, when you come into my tabernacle, I'm going to speak commands that are just perfect for you to build you up, to keep you in that place of receiving and encountering me. Look at the next one. It says in verse 23, make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, make a gold molding around it. Also make around it a rim and a handbreadth wide and put a gold molding on the rim. Okay, what's this all about? Look at verse 30. It says, put the bread... Of the presence. Say presence. Oh, I love God's presence. Guys, I I didn't know about God's presence growing up in church. To me, it it was just all rituals. And then I started experiencing in passionate worship, I started experiencing this tangible touch and this touching of another realm, the spiritual realm. And I started understanding there's a presence Like Song of Solomon says, your love is sweeter than wine. God's presence. It's like our daily bread. So put the the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. Jesus is known as the bread of life. You can't make it without bread in life. You, You need food. Bread is like the most basic food on earth. You don't say, well, I ate Saturday, so I don't need to eat today, right? You don't eat today, and all of a sudden your stomach starts going, hello, I'm hungry. 
You don't eat a little longer, your stomach starts turning into a grouch. <laughs> Feed me, right? Starts affecting your emotions, right? Some of you, you don't eat, man, you get grouchy, right? That's why we keep refreshments out there. We want a nice church. I've seen some of you when you don't eat. We got ushers out there shoveling it in. This one needs some more, right? Fuel, fuel. God's saying you need the bread daily. You come, there's, there's the bread of my presence. You come to Jesus every day. You come to feast on him. You come and you eat. You, you feast at the table of the Lord. And then look at the last point here. The last fixture in the tabernacle is the lampstand. The lampstand, make a lampstand of pure gold, hammer it out, basin shaft, its flower-like cups, buds, and blossoms shall be one piece with it. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lamp, three on one side, three on the other, and then there's the middle one. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms to be on that branch. Almond, why almond? An almond tree was the first tree to awaken out of its dormancy in the spring. They're called the awakening one. Ooh. I like that. These almond buds on the top. It's, this lampstand is representative of the Holy Spirit. This seven-fold lampstand represents what Scripture talks about as you study the Holy Spirit, the seven-fold Spirit of God. Seven Holy Spirits? No, no, no. One Spirit with seven dimensions. It comes from Isaiah 11:2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on them. The spirit of wisdom, of understanding, the spirit of counsel, of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. These seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. And it's in Revelation 1.4, Revelation 3.1, Revelation 4.5, Revelation 5.6, where the Holy Spirit is in the temple, the sevenfold lampstand. In, in the temple, there were no windows. In the, t- in the tabernacle, excuse me, there were no windows. So all the light came from this glorious 100-pound golden lampstand. And it symbolized the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You come into that tabernacle and God's saying, your life, your mind, your spirit, your soul will be illumined by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So all of a sudden, you come into your time with the Lord, you don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about this job offer. I don't know what to do about this bill. And you come into the tabernacle place of the Lord and the Holy Spirit, you start coming. I don't know what to do, but Holy Spirit, come and speak to me. And he starts illumining your path. It's what you can expect when you come to God. Let's look at this last part, chapter 26. It says this. Make the tabernacle with ten curtains. Now, we've talked about the different ingredients or the different components of the tabernacle. We've talked about the ark. We've talked about the table of showbread. We've talked about the lampstand. Now we're talking about what's the actual tabernacle going to look like. Make the tabernacle with ten curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with cherubim worked into them by a skilled craftsman. So these curtains with these beautiful golden angels in them. All the curtains are to be the same size, 28 cubits long and four cubits wide. Join five of the curtains together and do the same with the other five. Make loops of blue material along the edge of the end of the curtain in one set and do the same with the end of the curtain in the other set. Make 50 loops on one curtain and and 50 loops on the end of the curtain of the other set with the loops opposite each other. Then make 50 gold clasps and use them to fasten the curtains together so the tabernacle is a unit. Amen. 
I could keep reading, but here's my question. Have you ever been in a space, in a building that actually draws you to worship? Two, two years ago, I was in Pasadena. I was exhausted, wiped out, feeling pretty down, and so I was doing some work, so I just thought, man, I've just got to go for a walk. So I walk out on the street, and the first thing I walk into is a fight between people. They're screaming at each other, cussing at each other, and then they're looking at me like, can you believe this person? I'm like, no, I just want some fresh air. And I'm like, that's all I need, you know? I'm already feeling down and discouraged, and I look, and two blocks down is this beautiful Catholic cathedral. So I'm going, my salvation. I, I just make a beeline for this cathedral knowing oftentimes Catholic cathedrals are open to the public. And so I get down there, I grab the, the knob or the, the handle on the door, it's about this big, it's like twisted brass, and so I grab it and oh, it's open. I pull it in, I go into this cavernous room and I walk over to a pew and the, the ceilings are probably 60 feet high and immediately this hush just comes over my spirit and I kind of slide in and there's just some, you know, some faithful, devoted worshipers in the front. You just kind of barely hear them praying. And all of a sudden, I find myself down on my knees on the kneeling bench. And I look up, and my eyes just start following the trail of the Stations of the Cross and this be- beautiful stained glass windows, each one. And I follow it around the room, and then I, I land on the crucifix at the front of the altar. And my whole being is just being drawn into this kind of prayerful, meditative state. You know, God understood that our environments affect us. And that's why he was so deliberate and precise, so intent on describing every little aspect of the tabernacle because he wanted to create an environment that would draw us into worship. Now, I'm, I'm truly not a Catholic. I, I, I love so many things about our Catholic brothers and sisters, but I am a Protestant and In the New Testament, we know that the tabernacle is no longer a building. It's a people, right? You and I become the tabernacle. You and I, the church becomes the the tabernacle of God. We actually, the Bible says that we're living stones. Instead of big chunks of concrete or marble put together to form the Catholic cathedral, all of a sudden it's you and me. It's John next to Nancy, right? Next to Michelle sitting next to Lamech, right? Where we become the living stones that are fit together. Listen to what 1 Peter 2.5 says. It says, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I I, I have nothing against beautiful buildings. They're they're wonderful. But they pale in comparison to the beauty of transformed lives. So when I see Jeanette Cowan out serving At the refreshment table, I'm in awe of the humility and servant's heart in the body of Christ. When I see Joel Teen as our security guard, I'm in awe of the steadfast power, rock awesomeness, muscularity of God. 
when, when I walk in a room and Raymond Alvarez comes and grabs me and wraps me up, I'm, I feel the unconditional love of God. When, I, when I'm in the middle of worship and I see Erica LaFada just like this, I, I'm drawn into worship myself by seeing her. The, the person sitting two seats down from you is the, the finely twisted linen. The, the, the youth sitting three chairs in front of you is the scarlet yarn, right? The, the older person sitting to your left, they're the golden clasp. Are you following me? As you look around the body of Christ in this room, it starts drawing you into worship. And so every bit as scrupulous and as meticulous as they were to build the tabernacle, that's how we need to be to build the New Testament church, people of God. This isn't just, you know, all Sunday mornings, just kind of just ragtag, throw some things together, right? Slap some dirt on it, you know, we'll be okay. Right, that's, that's not the kind of house I want to live in. I don't want to live in a house where someone said, you know, I've, I found this sheet metal and this dump and here's a tire, it'll kind of hold the sheet metal together and right here, just wrap a garden hose around it and, right? No, y- you want to live in something that someone took time to build. It doesn't have mold growing in it. The rats aren't getting in and chewing on your toes. You... That's how the body of Christ should be. That's, that's why it's so important for each one of us to let God transform our lives and to chisel that living stone. Sometimes chiseling hurts, right? Hurts to have chunks of you taken off, right? But there's some things that I needed taken off me when I came into this church, right? So ching, 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 ouch, ouch. But all of a sudden we start fitting better together. You get sanded down, oh, all of a sudden you can fit better together. And this is what God is building for his presence to come and dwell among us. Do you know that when we come together, he finds it irresistible to stay away from us? Especially the more he lets, we let him chisel these stones. The more we let him form us and fashion us. The more, who wants to be in a house where the stones are far apart? You know, the wind just blows through. But when we all get up, nestled up to each other, Right? That's, that's not my nature, right? I like to have the, the bro seat in between me and the guy next to me. You know, what's up, dude? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't like to share the armrest. But God, God's saying, hey, when you're coming close to one another, you're my tabernacle that I can draw near to you. Let me just, let me just finish my thought here. You come into the tabernacle of the people of God but I also really believe you need your own personal tabernacle. Kendall's gonna really lock in on this next week. It's gonna be awesome. He's gonna talk about FaceTime, meeting God face to face. Where is your personal tabernacle? You, you need to come together with the people of God. That's why you need to be faithful here. God will move you, he'll instruct you, he'll heal you up, but you also, Jesus went away to the quiet place to meet with God. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet. What's your closet? I know for me, it, it, it's often changed depending on where I'm living. For a while, it was my garage. Just paced around my garage, meeting with God. I lived down closer to the beach for a while. I'd walk on the beach every single morning. I love walking on trails in the, in the foothills here. What, what is your tabernacle where you get alone and meet with the living God? Because I, I want to tell you, he wants to draw near. 
to you. Last verse. Exodus 29, 44 through 46. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Weekends are always the same at the Herber house. We let my kids sleep in. I'm always in my study, drinking my cup of coffee, reading the Bible. And one by one, the kids will wake up and they're kind of groggy and they shuffle towards the kitchen, but they have to come past my little study first. And anytime they come by, they know they're not going to get by without me going, hey, come here, come here, John Mark, come here. And he goes, oh, kind of goes like this, puts his head down like, oh, shucks, daddy. He walks in, he walks right over to my chair, and I always do this. I go, and I grab him, and I pull him in. I do the same to Hallie. Oh, daddy, you know, and I always say, Hallie, you're always going to be my girl. She's going to be 40 years old. I'm going to be like, oh, come here. And, uh, but I... I grab them, I wrap them up, I pull them onto my lap, and I say, you know that I love you. I love you so much, and I'm so proud of you. I want to tell you, that's what God was doing with the tabernacle. He said, although I'm the God who dwells in consuming fire and lightning and thunder, and my presence is so powerful that it makes a whole mountain tremble, and I'm creating this little study where I'll be, that you'll walk by me in the morning and I'll call you in and I'll wrap you up and I'll speak my love over you and I'll pull you into my lap and just hold you there. God wants you to draw near. He's calling you this week. The living God is calling you, every person in this room without exception, to draw near. Always stand up. Father, we are in awe. When we think about how short we fall of your glory, when I just think about the thoughts I've had this week, the judgment, the anger and frustration, the the impure thoughts that I've just so frustrated that even come across the radar screen of my mind. When I think about these things, it blows me away that you who dwell in unapproachable light, whose glory falls on mountains like fire, that the weight of your presence makes the earth quake and tremble, or that you would call a sinful finite being like me, like every one of us to draw near. And everywhere across this room right now, in every seat, I just want to encourage you to start thanking God. Just thanking God for one, how big He is, how strong He is, how powerful He is, but for number two, how near He wants to be to you. And I want to tell you that there's some people in this room that you're hearing this and saying, that is so awesome, that's too good to be true, but I don't know if God's really in my life. And today, if you don't know if God is actually making his home in your heart, 
if you don't know that when you die that you're gonna go to heaven and be with him forever, if you don't know that you've been born again and that Jesus is living in your heart, but you wanna make that decision today, I wanna invite you to pray with me right now. It's a a free gift. You just have to reach out and receive it. If you want to commit your life to Jesus and know that you belong to him, beyond a shadow of a doubt today, I want you to pray this prayer with me if it's in your heart. Just say, Jesus, you can just pray it right after me. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for the way I've walked away from you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you for defeating the power of sin and death. And today I invite you to come into my heart, to be my Lord and Savior. Make me spiritually new. And in the privacy of this moment, while everyone just has their eyes closed to respect those around, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, committing your life to Jesus, will you just look up at me and wave right now so I can celebrate with you? It's all over this room. Awesome. Praise God. Who else? Just wave at me. Just wave at me so I see that's you, okay? Thank you. Awesome. I see you too. Who else? Just wave at me. Just all over this room. I'm committing my life to Jesus. Just look up at me real quick so I can see that's you. Awesome. I see you back there. Who else? Just wave at me. I see you back there. Anyone else? Just wave at me. Today you're committing your life to Jesus. Let's just give God a hand for these ones that are committing their life to him today. Today is the beginning of your new life. Prayer team leaders, come down, please. If you just come down, life group leaders that are going to be praying with people. If you just committed your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to come down forward. And I want to give you one of these books. The prayer team will give you one of these books called Knowing Jesus as Lord. It helps you on your journey with him. If today you're saying, Robert, I need prayer. I I, I wanna draw near. Maybe you've been walking with God, but you want a fresh start in your relationship with God. Or you've heard about the power and majesty of God and said, you know, I've got hurt and pain in my body. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're ailing today. Or maybe you just need a breakthrough. Maybe you're in a depression or despair. God wants to break through in your life. The Bible says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. I want to invite you to start coming now as the worship team plays. If you're giving your life to Christ, if you need prayer, if you're sick and you need healing today, you just start coming right now. Just make your way out of your seats and just come and receive prayer. And the rest of us, let's just focus our eyes on Jesus as we sing more, one more worship song. Just really bringing our lives before him for these last couple minutes.